Amy can't hear anything. Good evening. Can you guys hear me now? I can now. Oh, awesome. I was talking away and nobody's listening to it. I'm hearing myself. Let's just do this again. Father, we just thank you and praise you for your presence. We thank you, Father God, that, Lord, you have ordained this. And, Lord, we just thank you for what you want to do here tonight. I thank you and I praise you for those that pray before we get on the call. We bless them. We thank you for them, God. And, Lord, I just pray that you would be glorified tonight, that the name of Jesus would be lifted up, and that you would be our pattern. And we give you all the praise and the glory in, in Jesus' name. You know, I, when God is doing something, uh, he he doesn't do it simply in one place. That is, when he is making a, if I could use the word, more global or more body of Christ or more general statement, you'll begin to hear it all over the place. And one of the things that I am hearing all over the place uh, from the different uh, uh, prayer groups, uh, people praying from the some of the more... Um, uh, visible voices, if you will, or prominent voices in the body of Christ is the focus on marriage and family. And anytime we're talking about ma- marriage and family, we're talking about the church. We're talking about the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is made up of individuals, married, uh, husbands and wives, and families. In fact, Everything in life uh, comes from the union of a man and a woman. And so I'm excited that God's attention, that God has got marriage and family on his mind, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ on his mind. And tonight, I want to share with you 10 things. We may not get through all 10 of them, but I want to share with you 10 shifts or 10 paradigm shifts in the way to think about and approach marriage. Um, uh, It's real important. When God is saying something new, it's because he's doing something new. And so we want to talk about those things. And last week, if you were on, Dr. Campbell spoke about being a game changer for God, for the kingdom. And she said that a game changer is one who significantly alters the way things are done. Game changers go against the flow of what is established. They go against the grain, against the status quo. You know, Dr. Campbell used the word radical as in making a radical departure from one thing to another. And I want to encourage you, even if you're not married, please hear the spirit of God as he talks to the bride of Christ, and we are all the bride of Christ. And so the truths that we'll be dispensing here tonight um, you will find them applicable to almost any, uh, every relationship that you're in. It will improve every relationship. I'm focusing on marriage, again, because that is the topic of my latest book, and so um, it's just hard not to focus on that particular relationship. And yet, these things apply to many relationships because they're based on truth. Um, and so this book that I've written that has yet to be titled, we've been throwing around titles and some of the team, we've been playing with different things, so we don't have a title yet, but it does take a rad- radical departure from what we usually hear sermonized in the messages on marriage in the body of Christ. It goes against the grain of the status quo, against the grain. 
This book represents a paradigm shift, and some of you on the call have experienced the freedom that has come from changing your mind about how to approach your marriage relationship. You know, some of you others on the line that may not have heard this before will find it liberating, and some will not. Some will simply say the old is better. We just need to go back to what we were doing. Well, what we were doing got us here, and if we continue to do what we've always done, I think it was Einstein that says, that that's the definition of insanity. We need to change our ways, not the will of God. And in every area of life, we change, we adapt our thinking, we grow, and we use different resources and tools. So the will of God is the same, and yet the way of God is ever-changing. But before I share with you these five to ten things, no matter, see how far we get, and maybe Amy will chime in here in a little bit. Um, but before we, I go through those, I want to give you three reasons, three quick reasons why husbands and wives are suffering today. Three reasons. Uh, I'm just going to mention them briefly, and then we'll jump right in. And then if we need to come back and unpack these further at another time, we can certainly do that. But I want to give you three reasons why we need to change the way we think or or why husbands and wives are suffering in marriage today and what prompts us uh, and the need to have a need to change our way of thinking and approaching marriage. The first reason husbands and wives suffer today is because in some marriages there is emotionality without vulnerability. What that means is, you know, for instance, you can have a spouse that's uh, angry or even showing rage, and and that anger and that rage uh, are about hiding the hurts, the weaknesses, and and the things that that person is has not resolved in themselves, and therefore they show up angry and in a rage. So they are highly emotional, and yet they're not vulnerable because they're hiding the root cause of their anger. And so until they begin to deal with the root cause, they can show up and be emotional and yet not be vulnerable. And then there's the spouse who may tear up, may cry, you know, and may accept responsibility for everything, you know, in order to hide the fear of rejection or abandonment. Again, this spouse can be extremely emotional and yet, and yet not vulnerable in that they're not willing to deal with their fear of rejection or abandonment. But in either case, healing and wholeness are prevented due to lack of vulnerability. Again, we're talking about husbands and wives, but you may be in relationships with other people where there's emotionality without vulnerability. You can only take so much of that stuff because only place for real change is we have to get to the level of vulnerability, the level of the the root of it, and not simply deal with the fruit. The anger, the tears, the emotionality, that's fruit. And so if we continue just to try and manage the fruit and never get to the root or the vulnerability of a thing, then there's little hope for changing um, and improving the interactions in that relationship. The second thing, the second reason husbands and wives suffer in marriage is because they fear change. They fear change. They fear the unknown. They fear new responsibilities and the demands um, that it will place upon each one. And it can create some debilitating anxiety. 
I mean, my gosh, can you imagine, you know, having to be responsive and responsible in an area that you've never been responsive or responsible uh, in before, and now you're married, and now there is a demand or pressure on you to accept new levels of responsibility? Well, it's sometimes it's easier for all of us, and we've done it in different areas of our lives. It's just more prominent when we're in a relationship such as marriage. It becomes painfully clear when we want to change and when we don't want to change. But here's the thing, growth without change uh, uh, growth without change is impossible, and he who cannot change their mind cannot change anything. And this is why we need a new way to approach marriage because, as I said, emotionality without vulnerability, fear of change, none of these things typically are addressed in your traditional marriage course. And then number three, fear of man. The Bible says that fear of man brings a snare to our soul. Husbands and wives, you know, in, in an area that you're strong, you can be intimidating. And in an area that you're weak, you can be intimidated. And so in different areas of our lives, we are, we, not because we're trying to be intimidated, it's just if you put a strength in the room with the weakness, there is a, a, a potential for intimidation. And when a person is not dealing with really who they are, their struggles and all of those kinds of things, um, it's not necessarily an opportunity for growth but intimidation. And so in some ways, husbands and wives fear each other. Why? Because we expose in each other that weakness, that vulnerability, whether they want us to see it or not. And that makes us afraid at times. And nobody walks around and says, hey, I'm afraid of my spouse. That's just like, who does that? Nobody. And yet the reality of it is, in relationship with our spouse, those areas that God is yet bringing into exposure because he wants to change, you know, the, the spirit of fear will, will tempt us in those particular areas. And if we're honest with ourselves, many of us have succumbed to that. And so here's the challenge. You know, think about a person who if you know somebody or perhaps you walk on eggshells around your spouse. You know, if you ever felt like you had to watch what you say when you said it, you didn't feel like you could really show up and be who you are with your spouse. You know, if you can't just really show yourself, you know, it's really worth getting to the reason why. Otherwise, otherwise your spouse will control your behavior, and that's the problem with fear of man. When you're afraid of man, when you're afraid of your husband or your wife or someone in relationship with you, they will dictate your behavior, and God didn't create you for others to dictate your behavior. So these three things are the root causes of suffering, uh, husbands and wives, and all of these three things, if I sum it up, is a lack of love. It's a lack of love, a lack of freedom, and a lack of opportunity to grow and change. And so when we approach marriage, we need lots of love, we need opportunity, and we need support for change. And so I'm just excited about what God is doing because when he delivers each one of us, we are in the best position to support our spouse coming into the land of freedom. Amen. We want to grow beyond simply needing our spouse and needing each other to choosing each other. Oh, my gosh. It's, it's, it's a higher level of living when I don't need you, but I choose for you to be in my life.
Wow, wow, wow. That's powerful. So if any of these resonate with you or someone you know, then what I'm about to share with you, you really want to take take note. So let me just say this again just so we get it because I don't want to go too fast. I want you to, and maybe any of you want to jump in here because you're, you're real good at helping me with pace and things like that. But if you want to jump in here, these three things I believe husbands and wives, cause husbands and wives to suffer unnecessarily in marriage. Now, there's some things we suffer, and it, we do, but these things are not of God. The fear of man is not of God. Uh, the fear of change is not of God. And emotionality without vulnerability, they are not of God. And so these are the things that we want to want to begin to um, we want to take note of, and perhaps you can evaluate those things in your own in your own relationship. So that said, I want to I want to encourage you and to give you a different way of thinking about your marriage, about thinking about marriage and relationships in general. And what I would say, first of all, about, about relationships, you've got to understand this about relationships. Relationships have a redemptive purpose. They have a redemptive purpose. They are designed to help us grow and become who God would have us to be. So personal growth is essential to healthy marriage relationships. Where one or both are not growing, then the relationship is limited. It doesn't mean that God can't get things done, but God works with those growing. Every living thing, every living thing is either growing or dying, and that includes us as human beings. We must grow spiritually. We must grow um, relationally, we must grow in our ability to um, endure hardness. We must grow um, in how to steward our resources and our mon- money properly. And where we do not grow, we will end up suffering. It's it's just inevitable. It's that's just the law of growth. It's the law of life. And so, each of us, God gives each of us the grace and the responsibility to grow in surrender to His Word and His truth. And so just because we're married, that, that doesn't change. And so a lot of times we hurt and we experience pain because we refuse to grow. In fact, I've said it before that conflict is God's request for something you have so that he can share more of himself with you, that he can share more of his love with you. He can share more of his authority with you. He can share more of his power with you. And so when we find ourselves in repeated conflict, it's because whatever God is asking for, we have failed to deliver. We have declined his invitation. And so when we understand that everything is about growing and changing, we can look at our circumstances and our interactions and the recurring thing. See, when we have recurring conflict, it it, it just means that the, the frequency intensity of your conflict just simply means that your way of doing things doesn't work. And your way, your best guess, your best understanding of what God would have you to do isn't producing the change that he desires or perhaps that you desire. So let's get on with these, 
with these uh, 10 things. And like I said, we'll get through as many as we can. May stop in a little bit and Amy have you chime in um, to some of these. Um, so the first thing, what makes this book different? What makes this approach to marriage different? One, number one, first and foremost, you ready? It does not require the cooperation of your spouse to facilitate change in the marriage relationship. That is, a husband or wife can change the marriage relationship, can change the outcomes by the way he or she participates in the relationship. Well, Kim, where is that in the Bible? Romans 5, 8 says, but Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. When we were not in a place, unwilling, undesired, not even here to participate, to take part in what God was doing, God worked together with Jesus to bring us redemption, to bring us into relationship with God. The Bible says God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So that means for those of us that are believers, Christ is in you, believer, husband or wife. And he desires to reconcile your spouse to himself through you, which means it doesn't require your spouse to work with you, to be in agreement with you. Isn't that liberating? Oh, my gosh. I would have people call and want coaching or counseling and say, well, Kim, I really want to work with you, but my spouse doesn't want to, they don't want counseling. They don't, they don't, he or she doesn't want counseling. They don't want to be coached. They don't have, they don't think they have a problem. I said, great. They're probably not the one God wants to use right now. But that shouldn't deter you because you have a responsibility to manage yourself even as unto the Lord. And if you need help, coaching or counseling, to be able to do that in this relationship, then it's your responsibility to seek it out and to make that investment. And here's a little bit of secret. Here's a secret. I've done marriage counseling, you know, for years and uh, and coaching, and I would say to you, and I've worked with couples for years, hundreds of couples, and I will tell you that even when I have a husband and a wife who want to come to counseling or coaching, usually I will meet with them once, twice, maybe three times together, but then I want to work with them individually because only the individual husband or wife, can change their contribution to the marriage. And we'll get into it later, but you can't negotiate. uh, Oh, gosh, I don't have time to unpack this, but I'm going to say it, and and we'll have to come back to it if need be. God ultimately wants each of us to look like Christ, to be conformed to Christ, to take on the mind of Christ. That's his desire. That's what's in Romans 12, 1, to be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And he's looking for a transformed individual, a transformed individual. That is not a collective bargaining agreement. In other words, it's not you, don't, you and your spouse and say, okay, we're together. Our mind is going to be transformed. No, it's my mind. It's not our mind. It's each one's mind conforming to the word and the will of God, 
And as each one conforms, the other has greater opportunity to do the same. So again, this new approach does not require the cooperation of husbands and wives, a husband and, let me say it again. This approach does not require the cooperation of a spouse to facilitate change in the marriage relationship. One spouse working together with God in the same manner as Jesus did can change the quality and the interactions in the home. The question is, does God have one husband or wife willing to work with him in change? And the one that feels the pain the most is usually the one God wants to pay for it. Oh, my gosh. I just, I wish we had a a, a time where we could just sit and converse and I could show you even more expressly in your own relationship how this thing works. There is a reason that you can see where your spouse needs to grow and change. It's on purpose. It's deliberate. The problem is many of us go about helping our spouse to change in our own way, through our own goodness, through our own mind, what we think is right, what we believe is right, and we become Holy Spirit Junior. And when our spouse spits us out or regurgitates or just can't, you know, digest what we're saying or has just had enough of us, we don't know what to do. And here's what we'll say. Well, I pray. I, you know, I prayed to God and I fasted and I, I gave him the word, but how are you living with that spouse after you said and did all of that? You know, and, and oh, my gosh, we could just go further on that. I just need to move on to number two. The hope for you, the hope is this, that the grace is this. You don't need your spouse to improve the quality of your or to improve the quality of the interaction. No, we're not in control of the outcome. The outcome belongs to God. But what you can do is work with God so that you have the greatest opportunity to produce outcomes that will include and improve your marital relationship. But either way, it'll be to the glory of God if you're allowing him to work with you and you're working with him. Number two, in this new book, it's a solution for wives whose husbands won't lead and A solution, yeah, a solution for wives whose husbands don't lead, whose husbands don't lead. Romans twelve nineteen says this: Beloved, don't be obsessed with taking revenge, but leave the God, leave that to God's righteous justice. For the scriptures say, "Vengeance is mine, and I will repay," says the Lord. In other words, you don't have to beat your spouse up when you say things like when a wife says, "I'm going to allow my husband to lead." Please understand. Please understand, anything that you allow, you are leading, you are controlling. And so when a, when a wife says, well, I'm just going to allow my husband to lead in this matter, well, see, leadership, you don't ask permission to lead. You either do or you don't. You, you, you either have it or you don't, ask, you don't ask for authority. You either have it or you don't. And so a husband that has, is struggling to lead or has difficulty in leading, there could be a number of reasons, you know, for, for that. You know, I'm going to go to number three, and then I'll, I'll give you a, a scenario. But there are, there are a lot of instances where the wife is, is, is the more spiritual one in the home. The wife is the one more involved in the church. So actually, in terms of giving in the church, a good portion of it, I don't know what percentage of it is women. 
So oftentimes, you know, men are following when it comes to spiritual leadership and spiritual place in the home. I'm not saying that is right. I'm not condoning either or. I'm just simply saying that is a reality. That is a reality. And there are many reasons for that reality that we won't go into here. Number three, this book also is a solution for husbands whose wives don't support. So you thought I was going to leave you guys out there, didn't you? Nope. Some of you are married to wives who do not support. You're married to wives who are are, are self-righteous, who know the answer, who perhaps know the word better than you, who question everything that you would say, and if you can't back it up with the scripture, you just believe that God is saying for you to do this, and, you, and your, your wife may take issue with that. And I would say the same scripture, beloved, don't be obsessed with taking revenge, but leave that to God, right, God's righteous justice. For the scriptures say, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord, Romans 12, 19. Here's the reality. Here's one of the things that we're dealing with in the world today. And perhaps it is, it's specific to the baby boomer generation. And so hear it from that perspective. Um, but there is a generation of women who have been raised to be responsible for people, for places, and for things. They're the babysitters. They do the, they, they, the chores around the home. They're raised to be responsible for people, places, and things. That same generation of men have been raised to be players. They play sports. They play video games. They play women. Now just imagine these two men and women, man and woman getting married. What do you think he's going to desire of her, and what do you think she's going to desire of him? Exactly. She's going to want him to be more responsible for people, places, and things. And he is going to want her to play more. Whatever that looks like, he's going to want her to relax and play more. Why? Because the two, they're set on becoming one. They're just fighting over which one of them they are going to become, and God didn't have either of them in mind. You'll hear it in terms like this, role reversal. That is the description of role reversal when you put things in perspective of traditional marriage. That, that is role reversal because in, in traditional marriage, the, the, the role of the husband is very specific. The task and duties are very, very uh, specific. And so we have a challenge, not just perhaps in your marriage, but in many marriages and relationships in which there is a lack of support or a lack of leadership. That It's, it's the same thing. It, it's the same thing. Again, we're just looking at it from the aspect of marriage, but it, it's the same thing. Um, let me give you another one. This approach offers hope to husbands and wives who don't fall into traditional religious gender roles and needs in marriage, which addresses what I just said. What do you do when you have a wife that's been raised to be responsible for people, places, and things? She may have a college degree, maybe not, but she's just entrepreneurial or she's just resourceful 
And she is married to a guy that has been encouraged, has been rewarded, and validated for playing. These two, this husband and wife, they're not going to fall into the traditional religious uh, gender roles assigned to them by religion. So now not only are they going to have some internal problems, now they're going to have the pressure from a religious system that doesn't address their particular situation. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ freed us. Stand fast there and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. See, unfortunately, traditional marriage, it, 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 it cast men and women in, in specific roles. And so it's very difficult when a husband and wife present other than tradition that, that religious, the, mar- the religious system or traditional marriage does not have an answer. So because they don't have an answer, they will automatically assume that she is being rebellious. In fact, we have a name for that, Jezebel. And I'm not saying there aren't Jezebels in the home, but there are also Ahads and there are also Absaloms. And so we need a model of marriage. We need an approach to marriage that does not condemn husbands and wives because they don't fit the religious prescription of what they should look like. We need an approach to marriage that can handle where a husband and wife are that God can bring them to where he wants them to be. So the traditional model of marriage would condemn this couple and put a great deal of pressure on that man to stand up, man up, wise up, and all of those kinds of things, and at the same time put tremendous amount of pressure on the wife to dumb herself down, uh, humble herself, and submit. Just think about that. I'm going to pause there because this is a this is a uh, this is really a linchpin for me. Well, I mean, all of them are. But this is because traditional marriage does not deal with the variables that many couples are, uh, are experiencing today. Traditional marriage focuses on the husband working outside of the home, the woman working inside of the home, the, the, the woman taking care of the children, the house, and every, everything in, and the, and the husband providing, taking care of everything out. What do you do when there's a two-income uh, family and the wife is just as talented and perhaps even um, has gone further in her career than he has in his. How does traditional marriage handle it? It doesn't. It provides no answer. And so you have a husband and wife that go to the church and can't find help because their situation does not fit the model that's been a sermonized and espoused for this long. Hey, Amy, why don't you jump in here because I've said a mouthful up until now, and maybe you want to chime in and – hello? Amy? You'll can you hear me? Yourself. I can hear you. Okay. <laughs> yes, this is so good. And it is a lot. It's a lot of good, good points. Um even looking back at your at your reasons, wow, we we could start anywhere. But if if you want to go with where we are right now with offering hope to couples that are non traditional, I'm just trying to think of couples I know that are traditional. And let's see, I would say less than half of 
just general people I do life with in and outside the church, less than half, I would say, are traditional. Um, Just with everything going on, there's so many people that aren't living a traditional life, and you're right. Sometimes I think that um, I'm going to speak like wives, friends of mine, that um, I think you use the word dumb down, uh, feel like they have to dumb down, and I think that's a real thing. I think that that really does happen. So I think that's worth looking at, like looking at that from the perspective of what you're talking about of sovereignty, how it doesn't have to be a dumbing down. Um, without, Why don't we break that down? Why don't we look at that without having to change her spouse? What does that look like? Well, you know, part of the challenge is um, – and why this is such a departure is because traditional marriage teaching um, defines marriage as a hierarchy. And God's approach to marriage is relational. And so in traditional marriage, we try to manage the interactions between husbands and wives based on hierarchy. In this approach, and I believe the approach that goes back to Genesis, the the husband and wife were in a relating capacity. They could move into hierarchy. They could yield to one another, but they were in a relationship. And so one of the challenges is when you look at marriage and the model of being hierarchy, there's, and, and then you insert a man who has been raised to play sports, to play video games, to play women, and has gotten college scholarships and gotten rewarded and patted on the back for being little Romeo, and now you put him in that hierarchy, but all he's learned how to do, and this is no fault of his, this is not condemnation, this is reality. As, as you said, Amy, there, I, I don't know of many uh, traditional couples that fit that that model. But when you put a player in a position of being responsible for people, places, and things, and he doesn't or can't or hasn't developed those skills better stated, then, my gosh, can you imagine how he feels? And then just imagine what happens in the relationship that doesn't understand, wait a minute, We've got, he needs a different kind of support. He needs something different because we, if we just keep pushing this hierarchy and he's not able to perform in it, then he will look at what advices and ways to feel good or to anesthetize the pain of, not, of being in a position where he may feel like he doesn't measure up or qualify. And then think about the woman who's put in that same hierarchy and all she's been learned to do and be rewarded all of her life is for managing people, places, and things and getting things done. And she knows how to handle her business. And now you put her in a hierarchy where she's submitting to someone who hasn't learned how to lead or to develop or authority, that's a disastrous relationship. And the, and traditional marriage just does not speak to that. So in this well, I would, model I would of think ma- that 
Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. So I was just going to say, so in this model of marriage that we are proposing, it moves things from the hierarchy to relationship so that people can get the support that they need and they can grow and they can move in hierarchy as it's needed to accomplish God's will and its purposes. Well, right. From what you're saying, even, I mean, why even look at the hierarchy if we don't get the relationship piece down? Almost like when we're in relationship with Christ, if we're not in relationship with Christ first, there's nothing else to talk about. Like, first, we must be in relationship with Christ. So I'm thinking, when I'm thinking about spouses, it's like if the relational piece is missing and we have a, a fear of one another or when you're speaking about the fear of man, I just think like that exposure, right? Like, am I going to be exposed to my husband? Do I have like that lack of trust or relational things? Then how can we even look at anything else if, if the relational piece is missing? Well, isn't that interesting too? Because if you study Jesus's relationship with the disciples, and so if we look at that model of Jesus and the and and the church or the disciples being the body and he is the head. How many times does Jesus sermonize on the hierarchy? How many times does Jesus remind the disciples that of of his position and who they are in relative? How many times does he tell the disciples to submit to him? I just want somebody to show me in scripture where Jesus continuously emphasizes to the disciples that you must submit to me. And compare that with how many times Jesus went out of his way to draw the disciples in relate, into relationship with him. Even Peter, I think of Peter. Peter was obnoxious. Peter was the only disciple that we have recorded that told Jesus flat out, no, no, you are not going to die. And how did <laughs> Jesus bring it? I mean, that, that's pretty bold. That's pretty bold. We can, I mean, that is, if that is, has to do with, that's a submission problem. I mean, if we want to talk about it from hierarchy, but what did Jesus say to him? He said, get behind me, Satan. Spoke to Satan. He said, you're not, my, he, basically, Peter, you're not mindful of the things of God. He said, come, let's enter the mind of God. Jesus was all, and so I agree with you. Where there's no relationship, hierarchy is a religious tool to bring men and women under subjection and control, and it has not produced the marriages, families, or nor has it contributed to, uh, to, to the revival we are all praying for. Because in order for us to have revival, we must be free, willing, and choosing agents. And when you talk about relationships, Amy, we have to get the relationship thing down. And the relationship thing down means that we must have emotion with vulnerability. That means we must love people into the willingness or the desire or inspire them to change through love. And we must remove all of the fear of man. We must not become threats to our spouse. And there are ways to do that, and this approach does that. Why? Because it puts the onus on each one to become who God would have them to be. And I think that's key because if if the onus is on me to change, me and Jesus, then it takes all the pressure off of, in my case, John, my spouse. Yep. Because my, my changing has to do with me and Jesus. 
And his mm-hmm. changing has to do with him and Jesus. And even when you were talking about that, you know, like marriage counseling and when it's always just the couples and not looking at each person individually, as a physical therapist, I was thinking about, wow, that'd be like you have a torn rotator cuff, but your spouse is going to show, show up for the, for the repairing or both. <laughs> Sometimes it really is. You know what I mean? Wait, wait, wait. Would that work? Wait a minute. Wait, wait. I've got a little pain uh, in my knee here. Can you go to the doctor and see if they can? (laughs) That's crazy. I mean, it sounds silly, but that's what we do, right? Right. But what you're saying is regardless of if it's the person with the knee injury or the person without, whoever is in relationship with Christ, can change their relationship, the cat- not necessarily yes. the knee pain, right? <laughs> That's right, because watch this. Whoever, whoever has the problem, whoever, not the one that you think has the problem, but when I say whoever has the problem, whoever's the most discontent, whoever's the most dissatisfied, whoever is the one that just something's got to give here, something's just got to change here, I mean, something's got to be different here. That's the one that God has, uh, that God wants to use. And here's the beautiful part about it, guys. Now, I may have said this before, but you've got to understand this. God wants each of us as believers to grow, change, and conform to Christ. You, in the area that you're weak, you don't have the strength. Let me say it again. It's, it's, it's really quite obvious. In areas that you're weak, you don't have the strength to participate or the faith to participate in what God would have you to, be, to, to do or what he would have you to become. But if you're weak in an area and you're married and in some other covenant relationships, but we're talking about marriage, when you're weak in an area and lack the skills, knowledge, or even the faith to participate in change, you will be married to someone that is strong in that area, has faith to change, because without faith it is impossible to please God, but that you're in covenant with each other, then your faith can work on your spouse's behalf, but God needs somebody who can see and believe what could be in your spouse And your spouse oftentimes can't see that for himself or herself in their area of weakness. So God uses your sight, your faith, and now he just needs you to work with him and not labor according to your own understanding, even though you see what you and God want to have as the outcome. Because the change that you want to see in your spouse nine times out of ten, I'll just say eight times out of ten, it's the same change that God wants to happen in your spouse. Let me say it again. The change you see, the change you believe can happen in the air of your spouse's weakness is the same change that God wants to see happen in your spouse and wanted that change long before you came along. Long before you came on, the problem is he didn't have faith, and he didn't have a man or a woman on the ground that could believe with him, that could believe in such a way that the Spirit of God could come and intervene in that husband or that wife situation. So you're it. So when you're dissatisfied, when you're discontent, I would say you're the catalyst. You are the game changer in the relationship. And the problem is if you go to your traditional marriage resources to try to figure that out, you're going to be even more frustrated, more discontented, and more dissatisfied. That's why I'm writing this new book. 
<laughs> it's very needed. It really is very needed, and it's freeing. It's so freeing. Oh my God! I think any of us have applied these these um, principles that you've been teaching. I mean, you're putting it in a book now, but you've been teaching it on the line, you know, over the mm-hmm. past year or so, or more. Yeah. But but really, it is very freeing. <laughs> I can testify yeah. to that. It's it's well, you know freeing. it. And it impacts every relationship. And the deal is, when you, when you truly experience freedom, you want that for everybody else. If you find a truly free person, they want you to be free, even if they don't agree with your decision. And that's where we as the church need to grow. We really need to understand freedom and our responsibility for ourselves, freedom and being able to walk with people in such a way that our freedom result, results in love that would inspire those that might be contrary to the word of God to come to the word of God. Oh, my gosh. That's how we'll win each other, through love, through love. And when you begin to take this new approach, you'll find it's not about your spouse. Your spouse is not your problem. They actually are a solution, but that we have to unpack that another day. They really are a solution. But I know we're not, see, the traditional model won't teach you that. But your spouse is your personal trainer if you choose to grow. Because God says if he is for you, then who can be against you? And we know that God is for your growth, change, and conformity to Jesus Christ. What that looks like for each husband and wife is different. And that's why the truths that I talk about in this book are applicable, and yet they don't prescribe a particular behavior toward this spouse or to that spouse. There's no one-size-shoe-fits-all, and that's the beauty of understanding the truth of freedom and becoming free, because a free person can set other people free. A bound person will bring other people into bondage. Let me say it again. A free person will lead others to freedom. A bound person will lead others into bondage. Oh, my God. That one principle alone, you could take it to the bank. And I don't care how many scriptures you use. I don't care how, you know, prominent the voice is. A free person will lead people to freedom. A bound person will lead people to bondage. And you can be free in one area of your life and completely bound in another area of life. And I would say in the church, we've got a lot of bondage in the area of marriage and calling it Christian, and yet the world will have nothing to do with our marriages or, or, or desire none of our marriages. Why? Why? Well, it's 8.50, and I probably I could go on because this, this certainly is my passion, and I, I just wish we had more time to just really get into nitty-gritty because I know there are individual circumstances that people may want to know, well, how does this apply to my circumstance? Or how does this apply? Do you know in this new approach, it gives you the tools not only to recognize abuse, but also to, to address it? I mean, they're, they're just, it's just amazing, uh, amazingly liberating. But if you want to see how some of these are applied to your relationship, um, then certainly, um, Amy, you can give coaching information, and I'd be happy to work with you to help you navigate this because when you change your mind, everything in life and relationship with you will have to change. 
When you change, everything in relationship with you changes. It's not maybe. It's not might. When you change, when you become free, everything in relationship with you will change and will have to make a decision about your new freedom. Uh, it's, it's just powerful. It's powerful. Yes. And also, I think if anyone has questions about tonight, just to email you, don't you think, Kim, mm-hmm. and we can answer them next yeah. week? Yeah, I think, I think so. Again, guys, when there's a paradigm shift, you know, you really have to, you really have to take a moment and think about it. Um, and, Amy, that's why I really like face-to-face because it's different. If I'm just giving you an encouraging word, you know, it just quickly resonates. But when the ship is turning or when you're changing, when you're making a radical departure from a way of doing things, it really, it, 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 it's not a pep speech. It's helped me understand how this works. And sometimes I don't feel like these calls, you know, would specifically when we get into the nitty-gritty of this, I'm not sure, you know, how, I mean, we're just not able to break it down to the level that might be necessary for some people to grasp it and experience the freedom of it. So, Amy, as you said, if you have questions, I'd be happy to answer them um, next week or I'll shoot you an email answer or we can do both. And if you do desire to have a new approach to experience more freedom in your marriage, I'd love to work with you. I'd love to work with you. You can go to more mentoring, M-O-O-R-E, mentoring, M-E-N-T-O-R-I-N-G.com, more mentoring. I'd love to work with you and see what God will do in your marriage or your relationships. Yes, the website, thatmorementoring.com, you can go through. It has three sessions to break through for three sessions, or you can do the different packages. So if you get on there, you can look at that. That's probably the easiest way to see for coaching. And mm-hmm. then if you just if you have a, a question about tonight, and also just to re-listen because these were such great points. Um, and really they all point back to Christ setting us free in relationship. And that's what I mm-hmm. like about the points. You tie them all back to biblical truths. And mm-hmm. it is a, it's a huge paradigm shift. So I think we really just have to listen to it several times. Um, yeah, you know, Revelation. Patsy's also texting because it's not just applied to marriage. It really is. You can apply it to, to church leadership or to relationships. Absolutely. Um, Yes, because mm-hmm. look at look at this. Check this out. I said three reasons husbands and wives suffer today. I could just as easily say three reasons relation people in relationships suffer today. Why do people in relationships suffer? Emotionality without vulnerability, um, because they fear change. I mean, they fear a fear of man. I mean, you truly again, relationship game changers is about pulling out and teasing out those principles and truths that are applicable, that transcend gender, that transcend relationships. So the things that we're teaching here, the body of Christ uh, could avail themselves of it because, indeed, we are the bride of Christ in relationship, in relationship with um, Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so we've got to change. To, tying it back to even the beginning, um, where we were talking about it really is all about the bride of Christ right now and about being ready and readying ourselves. Yep. Also, Patsy just brought up this great point. She's texting 
Um, can this be applied to leaders in church who typically lead from Absolutely. a hierarchical stance? And Absolutely. I really see that happening in the Bride of Christ Absolutely. right now. That shift from like the the top down leadership to an actual Christ and the body type leadership, or yep. you know, just a whole shift in leadership. Thanks, Patsy. Yep. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It- it can be applied, you know, uh, several years ago I wrote a, another book and uh, uh, two, one one gentleman was in business and applied some of these principles to his business and his business grew. And then I had a, a friend who was an attorney and he used these principles in jury selection. So what I'm telling you are these things are – I mean, I've worked with couples where domestic violence, you know, was uh, was a feature of the relationship. These principles will attack anything that's not like Christ, whether it's religious or whatever. It will bring it down, and that is a challenge because, you know, there are, you know, it, it, people don't like change, and, and, and pe- people just don't like change. And when your power is threatened through change or you fear the loss of power, you're going to resist it. And so, again, you know, some people are going to be liberated and it's going to be amazing. I I can't wait to see when God just continues to set his people free to see what marriages will look like. To, to see to see what our churches look like. We're praying for revival. But, guys, we need a reformation. I don't want God to restore the marriages that were. I want new to permeate the church. And I believe that the release of this revelation, not only I'm sure other God has given other you know, people revelation on marriage and the relationship, but as this revelation ripples throughout the body of Christ, I dare to say, oh, my gosh, we will become an unstoppable force because the spirit of God is neither male or female. And when we are functioning, when we are functioning with Christ as the bride, our physical, our genders, our earthly, these earth suits and all the things, our gender becomes less relevant. So I'm excited. I'm just excited. Love to talk about it. Oh, this is just so good. And, you know, even those in the family in the Bride of Christ who aren't married, really everyone's married. I mean, we're we're going to be married to Christ. We're married to Christ. So I even see it that way. Um, just really these principles can be applied to everyone, everyone, the entire body. You can teach these Christ. principles to you could teach these principles. You could scale these principles down in this book and teach them to a six-year-old. That's how, I mean, and, and that's the beauty of, of when you have a truth, you're able to break it down. So just think, if the children, if the, you know, I'd say six-year-olds, elementary school were learning these principles, the junior high were learning these principles. The teenagers were learning these principles. The dads were learning these principles. The moms were learning these principles. Now you have a whole family of powerful. The family is the greatest weapon. It is the greatest solidarity in our nation right now. 
given the mandates and everything attempting to strip us of our individuality, the family is the, it, it is the secret weapon of God in this hour. We must address the family. We must address marriage. We must give husbands and wives new tools that work in this hour. Praying yes is one, but we need tools on the ground that work in this hour that God can be glorified through the body of Christ. Amen. Well, thank you so much. For those of you who didn't catch the website, that's morementoring.com, morementoring.com. And then also um, I want to give you the replay number, and that is 605 605- Four seven five four nine eight zero. Then you'll dial in three four one zero 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 pound. It'll ask you for the call number, and that's one eight one pound. Tonight is one eight one pound. And for everyone who listens on podcast, we will have that up sometime later this week. And last week. Dr. Belinda Campbell is on our podcast, so you can go there as well. And you are always welcome to text me, and my number is 678-754-0867. Well, Kim, do you have any other closing remarks? Oh, no. We said a lot tonight. Guys, go home and listen again. Share it. Um, You can always like us on uh, Facebook at Relationship Game Changers, but share it. We must change the way we are doing relationships in the body of Christ, and it begins with marriage. So please share it, and, you know, we'll appreciate you, and thank you for doing that in Jesus' name. That's all I got. Amen. Well, we love you, and we will hear you on the call next week. Good night.